It was one of those old houses you see from time to time, standing off the road, across the field, out toward the country, the roof mostly gone, windows sagging and empty, peering at you over a half-rotted porch as you drive by. It's hard to believe that anyone had ever lived there, but according to my great-grandfather, it was the house he was born in. His excitement grew as we pulled onto the bare dirt track that led to the house. The car was still rolling when out he popped and was moving as fast as his cane would let him up the stairs and through the black hole that served as a door. Following as fast as we could, we too crossed the threshold and came to a sudden and abrupt halt, like hitting an unseen wall. In the gray light filtering through the dust, we could see the back of an old wingback chair, grimy and tattered, facing toward the fireplace on the far wall of the room. There was no sign of great-granddad. Try as we might, we could not move forward. A voice seemed to come from the depths of the wingback chair. Don't worry, you'll have him back safe and sound. But first, you must listen to my weird wonder stories from a time long ago. When I'm done, just step back and leave. Great-grandfather will be found sleeping in the car. And we did. Here are two stories about how we get there in different ways. Sharon by Lord Dunsey Sharon leaned forward and rode. All things were one with his weariness. It was not a matter of years or of centuries, but of wide floods of time, an old heaviness and a pain in the arms that had become part of the scheme that the gods had made and was of a peace with eternity. If the gods had ever sent him a contrary wind, it would have divided all time into two equal slabs. So gray were all things always, that if any radiance had lingered for a moment among the dead, perhaps on the face of such a queen as Cleopatra, his eyes could not have perceived it. It was strange. The dead nowadays were coming in such numbers. They were coming in thousands. They used to come in fifties. It was neither Sharon's duty nor his want to ponder in his gray soul why these things might be. Sharon leaned forward and rode. Then no one came for a while. It was not usual for the gods to send no one down from earth for such a space. But the gods knew best. Then one man came alone. The little shades sat shivering on a lonely bench. The great boat pushed off, only one passenger. The gods knew best. And great and weary Sharon rode on and on beside the little silent shivering ghost. The sound of the river was like a mighty sigh. That grief in the beginning had sighed among her sisters, which could not die like the echoes of human sorrow following on earthly hills, but was as old as time and the pain in Sharon's arms. Then the boat from the slow gray river loomed up to the coast of Dis. The little silent shade, still shivering, stepped ashore. Sharon turned the boat to go wearily back to the world. Then the little shadow that had been a man spoke. 
I... I am the last, he said. No one had ever made Sharon smile before. No one before had ever made him weep. The End A letter which I have titled Judgment from Otis Trevor During the streetcar strike in Denver in 1919, I was a reporter on the Times. On the night when the strikers and Black Jack Jerome's breakers met in deadly conflict, I was assigned to the East Denver Barns, in which Jerome's men were fortified. Toward midnight, the strikers stormed en masse, and during the melee, I dropped with a bullet in my chest. Regaining consciousness, I found myself in the city hospital. Kneeling beside my bed was my wife, Estelle. I tried to move. Lie still, dear, she said, rising. You must keep very quiet. They're going to probe for the bullet. Upon reaching the operating room, the ether instantly choked me into unconsciousness. Then occurred the strangest thing I have ever experienced. I seemed suddenly transported into a great hall with tall, shining pillars. All around me were people clothed in white, and from afar came the sound of soft music. But what attracted me was a raised section on one end, on which sat a benevolent-looking old gentleman. In his eyes there seemed to be all the sorrow and suffering of a wicked world's countless centuries. He beckoned to me. When I had come before him, he spoke, and in his voice there was the golden ring of perfectly tuned chimes. My son, he said, you have been brought to judgment. At present, you are no longer a part of the Earth's spear. Back there, science is fighting for your life. Whether science succeeds is determined by this court of justice. What have you to say for yourself? I trembled and became afraid. Where was I? Was I dead and in some spiritual spear far removed from the Earth? Then I spoke. I recalled distinctly that I rambled on at great length, attempting to make a good impression. As I spoke, he listened intently, occasionally nodding his head slowly and sadly. When I finished, he resumed. Words and actions mean nothing here, he said. In passing judgment, we consider only motives. They are everything. Remember that. It is the motives behind all actions that are important. So saying, he turned to an aged man who was writing in a book and asked, Any prayers? Yes, a young woman kneels at his bed. You shall return to earthly existence for a time then, the judge said, raising his hands. Heed well my words. Then I saw a great light well from some invisible source, and as I looked there seemed to be ragged scars in his palms that ran red. When finally I opened my eyes, I was again in my little bed, with Estelle and the doctor standing by. Eventually I recovered from my serious wound. The weird vision that I had while on the operating table, though, has always been a great mystery to me. Dreams are nothing unusual for me, but this was so entirely different from anything that I have ever experienced before. I have spoken of it many times and to many people. They have not laughed, but have listened in astonishment. What was it, I wonder? 
Was it the effect of the anesthetic upon my weakened system? Was it the wild distortion of my brain? Or, when life is flickering on the brink of eternity, are we actually brought face to face with our Creator? Will this question ever be answered in life? I wonder. The End And on the way home we heard great-grandfather mumbling in his sleep. Such marvelous stories, he said. Such marvelous stories. I haven't heard these since I was a child. And he promptly fell back asleep.